Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome into the Jeff Andrea Show here on Friday. It is November 22nd, and as always, thanks so much for joining me. On today's show, I will be chatting with the marketing director of Sun Peaks Resort to help you get set for ski season. Sun Peaks opens tomorrow, and if you're not quite prepared, we'll stay tuned for my chat with Aiden Kelly, and maybe that will help get you all primed up. In the back half of the show, I'll be chatting with the director of corporate services for the city of Merritt. It is looking to make some changes to the way it hands out tickets for bylaw infractions within the community. I was surprised to learn that currently they actually have to hand you the fine in person. So I'll be joined by Sean Smith to talk about that. And I'll also be helping to tee up this Sunday's 107th Grey Cup. Yes, this Sunday in Calgary, it will be the Winnipeg Blue Bombers taking on the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Neither team has won a CFL title this century. So TSN CFL analyst Glenn Suter will join me to help get you set for the big game. But to kick off today's show, Sandwich Mayor Fred Haynes wants to see Premier John Horgan act swiftly to improve road safety in BC. He penned a letter to Horgan Monday seeking speed changes within the Motor Vehicle Act. The letter questions why statutory speed limits remain while local roads continue to see high fatality crash and injury rates. He goes further to say that not making changes to the act contradicts a number of provincial plans, studies, and publications. Here to talk about this is the Mayor of Saanich, Fred Haynes. Mr. Mayor, thanks so much for joining me. Well, thank you for your, your interest, and it's interesting that from Sanich I'm talking to the wonderful city of Kelowna, and it just uh, underlines that this is really a provincial issue, and it is something that the province should take on and should not be left in the hands of individual municipalities. Yeah, so, so maybe let me just start by asking you why you think this was an important request to make. What was it that sort of made you decide to ask John Horgan to lower statutory speed limits? Uh, there are a couple of factors, really, but in Saanich, we've had um, some unfortunate accidents on our roads. Uh, but we are a rural, urban town, town and country, uh, which is uh, something that goes across the province, we know, um, rural areas and town areas. And uh, the municipalities have the legislation to change the individual road speeds. Um, but uh, what we understand that that is not the best approach. Um, the best approach is to have uniformity in road speeds. Um, the current Motor Vehicle Act is, is very old. It was in the 90s. Um, it hasn't kept pace with the upgrades in cars. And it's seen as a provincial initiative that would be more worthwhile. Um, why would we feel that? Well, at UBCM, since the 90s, um, there's been calls to the province to update the... Um, sorry, sorry, since the 2000s, there's been of course the product to update the Motor Vehicle Act. And there are a number of ways it can be done. One of the requests has been to allow municipalities to put in what we might call blanket areas or um, zoned areas. But then again, you get the transition from one speed to another, and it can confuse drivers. And even the criminal justice system says it's not the appropriate approach. And my report, which comes to council on this Monday, is a request to the province to have a look at all aspects of the Motor Vehicle Act and update it respecting um, what we see is the wishes across the, the province for uh, increased, so improved safety on our roads. Now, we've seen uh, the city of Vancouver sort of start taking some steps to try to lower some speed limits within within their uh, city, you know, and they're, they're going through some stakeholder uh, consultation to find out just how people feel about it and how, how possible and feasible it is. I understand that you also had a, a bit of a discussion about this at UBCM, I believe. Uh, you know, what kind of response have you been getting when, when you were kind of relaying this idea from, from lowering speed limits, I guess, from 50 to 40, I believe, is your plan. So what kind of response have you been getting to that request at this point? 
The response at UBCM, which is the Union of British Columbia Municipalities, where the mayors and councillors from across BC come together to deal with uh, issues, common issues, was overwhelmingly in support. And it has been overwhelmingly in support for several years now. Um, this is not a new issue. And what we also know is inside government, there's been a series of policy papers recommending exactly this, that the Motor Vehicle Act um, should be reviewed and address some of these uh, road safety issues. And it's best done by the province. Their own policy papers say that. But then when it came to meeting with the uh, multi staff to ask where that process was, we received a letter back saying they don't plan to look at it. So that puzzled us that on one hand, the mayors and councillors of BC are asking for it. Their own policy papers suggest it's the right approach. But then when it comes to operationals, operations, they're not willing to step forward on this. Uh, we think BC leads in many areas, housing, uh, reconciliation, the environment. Um, why can't it lead on road safety? In 2016 at UBCM, there was again the mayors and councillors of BC asking the province to step up on improving on-campus student housing for a wide variety of risk issues. And this pro uh, province under this premier stepped up and put $450 million into student housing. It was wonderful leadership. We're asking for the opportunity for leadership in this space to be recognised and taken. Uh, so you haven't uh, obviously gotten the reaction you wanted from from the province itself and from the premier's office. You were hoping to see maybe a, a bit of a bit more of a consideration to at least look at Correct. this. And and you said you know that it is part of the uh, it, they have proof basically that this would be a good idea. And you say other municipalities want it, but the province isn't even considering it. Um, I guess what what do you think has to be done to maybe raise the ire of wow. of the provincial government in order to them for them to actually look at this? Do you think it maybe comes down to um, being an election? issue or is it just a matter of more municipalities calling for the same thing what, what do you think it's going to take for the province to really consider your request well this uh, could certainly become an election issue what we'll see um, but my letter is also being sent out to all the mayors of the province and I think it's time for us to speak with a voice on this it's not just it's here it's, it's all across the province which is why it's a provincial issue but look at some of the other, the other factors I see BC which is our insurance um, group um, is struggling on costs um, lower road speeds are known in, in all progressive areas where it's been used to reduce road accidents, fatal and uh, fender bender. Um, the policing cost of enforcement when you're going on a patchwork area is, is, is high. It's better to have a uniform uh, road speed that's lowered and then enforce the enforcement of that is much less expensive. Over and above that, our healthcare costs, when people get hurt in a car, they get their bodies and bones broken, they go to hospital. There's an increased cost on our medical system. So when we look at um, uh, road insurance, ICBC costs, when we look at healthcare, all of these are being impacted by a motor vehicle act that needs to be updated. I'm here with Saanich Mayor Fred Haynes. Um, I guess, what, what, what do you, I've got to ask you this. So in, in your letter, you call, um, you know, uh, the motor vehicle, a uh, number of uh, accidents and deaths and collisions that are occurring on our roads. You call it an epidemic. I mean, that's a pretty strong word. I guess, can you, can you kind of yeah. explain to me why you decided to, to use that phrase and, and, and what, I guess, proof you have that you would say this is actually an, an epidemic? Uh, well, fiscally, we can see there's huge problems with ICBC. Um, in our own municipality, we, we see um, a raising number of uh, unfortunate road accidents, which um, uh, road safety engineers talk about the 85th percentile. Uh, what's the average speed at the 85th level? It's those 15% where there's um, uh, inadequate driver behavior. 
which is given a latitude by having um, road speeds that are higher than many people would like to see them. In progressive countries and areas where they reduce the road speeds, we see less accidents. So we think there's a clear link between their posted road speeds now, driver behavior, um, uh, uh, inappropriate driver behavior, and accidents. And it's endemic across the, uh, the province. In your conversations with people when talking about the potential of lowering speed limits, I guess one of the potential benefits, especially when I looked at Vancouver and what they're trying to do, one of the, the key reasons for them wanting to lower speed limits is to encourage people to use active transportation. And people who are, you know, on their bikes and things like that, you know, will feel more comfortable being on the road if cars are going a little bit slower. I guess, have you heard from the active transportation community quite a bit in terms of their um, support uh, of this request? Yes. In actual fact, the road I live on, Prospect Lake Road, we've had residents marching up the road to say they want the road to be lower so that they can walk on it, feel safe walking on it, so they can ride their bikes, feel safe riding their bikes. And one of the things he's stepped up on is climate change. Cars driving slower use less gas and therefore it's safer for the planet, but cars driving slower are safer for the neighbourhood. And so we have quite a bit of uh, interest across the municipality side from all the areas where we saw um, communities engaged in traffic speed, it's been going on for, for 15 years now, a request to make the roads safer by lowering road speeds. I'll get you out of here on this, Mr. Mayor, but uh, I guess just from the opposite of that, so you've heard a lot of support from the active transportation community and those looking to walk, run, or bike, or however they want to get around that's not within a vehicle. Have you heard from a lot of drivers who are disappointed that you're even making this request? I know a lot of people out there are probably saying 50 is already too slow. I don't want to be doing 40. So have you had any backlash at all? Uh, there's been the occasional piece, but overall, when people study the data from other communities where they've done this, that point A to point B travel time is better when cars are driving at, sl at a slower speed consistently. And what you have in areas where there's a higher speed, you get a lot of stop and start, you don't actually get there any quicker. And I was just in Europe, in England, um, my wife's Australian, it's the same in Australia, um, people drive at a slower speed, more uniformly, and at point A to point B travel time is very efficient, very effective. Well, and at, at, at what cost? At what cost? Yeah. Less accident, less, less insurance pricing, uh, better police enforcement opportunities. Um, the benefits are huge. Better climate change because cars driving slower use less gas. Um, better opportunities to walk, cycle to work. So there's so many benefits here. It's hard to see that why we wouldn't do it. Why wouldn't we do it? an interesting question, but thanks so much for doing this, Mayor Haynes. I really appreciate you taking the time. It's definitely a, an interesting conversation and, and one that I'm sure isn't going away anytime soon here. So thanks so much for coming on the program. Thank you. My best regards to the beautiful city. <laughs> right on. That was the Mayor of Saanich, Fred Haynes. Yeah, definitely an interesting, uh, interesting proposal to lower the speed limits, the statutory speed limits from 50 to 40. Would that be something that you'd be in favor of? I'm sure a lot of people out there are saying absolutely not. But I'm sure there's a lot of cyclists out there who are probably saying, no, that would be great. And it might actually encourage me to get on my bike a little bit more often. Uh, coming up after the break, talking about uh, getting active. It's almost ski season. Yes, Sun Peaks is set to open tomorrow. To help get you set for that, well, I'll be talking with the marketing director of Sun Peaks after the break.
the voice of your community. Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back to the show here on Friday, November the 22nd. We are now just one day away from being able to head up to Sun Peaks Resort and hit up the slopes. I guess less than that if you're counting the hours to help you get you set for opening weekend. I am joined now by Sun Peaks Director of Marketing, Aiden Kelly. Aiden, thanks so much for coming on. Good morning. So I guess let's start by asking how excited are you for tomorrow? Pretty excited. I mean, this is always kind of like Christmas Eve for us. Um, I know a lot of the operations guys are pretty tired because uh, it takes quite a big push usually in this last week um, to get things fired up for the season, especially with the weather patterns that we've seen um, in the last few weeks. But yeah, there's a there's a general sense of excitement, and that uh, that flows through to me as well. I'm just uh, itching to get back out there and slide on snow again. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are uh, getting ready to uh, get their skis and snowboards out to hit the slopes tomorrow, especially so as season pass holders, I'm sure, have been waiting since the moment that that uh, transaction went through. They've just been itching to get back up on the slopes. So uh, I guess for those who are planning to come out tomorrow, you guys are, are opening at 9 a.m. from what I understand, and what kind of conditions can people expect when they come out? Yeah, at 9 a.m. tomorrow, we'll be firing up the uh, sunburst lift and uh, the elevation lift as well. So it's a fairly limited opening. This happens um, from, from time to time, depending on what the weather patterns are like. Sometimes they cooperate early in the season for us, and sometimes they, uh, they don't do it as well as we would like. So uh, we'll be opening with those two lifts tomorrow and have our Cahilti and five-mile run um, from, uh, from mid-mountain there around our sunburst lodge um, right down uh, into the base in the village. So... Uh, still a good time. A lot, like you said, a lot of seasons pass holders come up. Uh, the destination visitors aren't aren't kind of uh, hitting the marketplace quite quite yet. They start coming over the next uh, the next few weeks. So it's mostly the local crowd and people use it as kind of a social experience. They're they're coming up and they're uh, meeting up with with friends from last season and they're doing a few runs and shaking the rust off. And you know the bars and restaurants might get a little uh, busier earlier in the day um, versus uh, some of the seasons when we have a bit more. Terrain, but it's still a really positive vibe, and everyone comes out and has a good time and uh, kicks off the season on the right foot. Uh, this is pretty much an impossible question to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, what, uh, I guess, is your usual expectation for when you can be fully open? It doesn't usually happen on opening weekend, but uh, I'm sure you have sort of a, a general timeline of when things start to, to really open up. I mean, you're making some snow, and uh, you know, you're going to get some more snowfall with some cooler temperatures on the way. Uh, do you have any idea how long it generally takes from opening day to, to be fully, fully open and have every slope ready for people to hit? Every year is a new adventure, um, for sure. That's the one thing that we learn. We, we, we try and stay flexible, and then we maximize our operation as best we can, as quick as we can. I mean, I think it was uh, was it two or three seasons ago now. Um, on our opening day, actually, we had all three mountains and over 100 runs open. <laughs> and then this year, you know, we're opening with a couple of chairs and a couple of runs. So every single year is different, and it depends how quick, uh, how quick it ramps up. This year, the challenge hasn't necessarily been the precipitation as much as it's been the temperature so we've had uh warmer than normal temperatures but that's going to change quickly as you noted here in, in the next uh, few days into mid next week it's going to get uh, quite cool up here in the mountains actually which is good for us from a snowmaking um standpoint so with that forecast in mind and looking at some of the snow coming in we're, we're hopeful that by mid next week um sometime around wednesday thursday which coincides with american thanksgiving actually uh, we're we're looking to be opening up more terrain um, as well, so we'll get through this opening weekend and uh, and then see what the weather does 
mid-next week, hopefully open up some more things. And then once you get into uh, to early December, that's when we really kind of have that expectation of, of getting all three of our mountains open and a majority of our ski terrain. And uh, that is the goal, and we just need a little bit of help uh, on the weather side for that to happen. Yeah, and just uh, taking a quick peek here at uh, the weather forecast here for the next uh, couple of days. Tomorrow looks like a high of zero and Sunday a high of one. So uh, definitely some favorable conditions for those who want uh, to, I guess, stay warm while you're skiing. That'll be an opportunity to do that here on opening weekend. Um, a few yeah. new things coming to Sun Peaks here. I, I understand uh, there's, um, what do you guys got? Some new some new cats? Uh, what do you call those? Um, groomers yeah, are, okay. are on there? Yeah, the groomers. Yeah, those are expensive pieces of machinery, but they're the most important thing that we have around here. Uh, Sun Peaks is well known, you know, not just not just locally, but um, throughout North America and around the world for a really high quality grooming experience. So this year we added um, a couple of brand new uh, snow cats to the fleet and that'll help us be a little bit more efficient out there on the mountain with our grooming activities. We did add a new chairlift last year and that means that we have more grooming requirements than we've had in the past. So um, adding some machines to the fleet and some newer um, newer equipment um, will make a difference out on the mountain. So that's, uh, that's something that the guests they, they notice firsthand when they're out skiing on a daily basis. And uh, we talked about this the last time you were on, but I'm just curious, um, you know, you guys have offered two days at Silver Star now with those who are spending money on a season's pass. Uh, what kind of reaction have you had from people who have been buying season passes and has this, you know, extra little uh, nugget that you're offering, you know, encourage more people to buy? Yeah, you know, it's been super positive feedback on that one. The the one thing I've always said is that we're really blessed out here in Western Canada with like an abundance of amazing ski resorts. So whether you're skiing here at Sun Peaks or you're at one of the other resorts in the interior or down through the Kootenays or over on the coast, um, there's just there's there's just so much. So to have that opportunity for our local market and our seasons pass holders to be able to get over and ski a couple of free days at Silver Star is uh, it's a definite perk. And once we announce that a lot of our kind of long-term locals and long-term pass holders they you know sent us follow-up on how excited they were about that opportunity and it really adds value to their pass and I think it converted a, a few a few more sales as well some people that were kind of like maybe on the fence it's like well you know all of a sudden you can ski a couple of days at Silver Star that's a that's an added value of a couple hundred dollars there with your with your season's pass so um, so I think our pass holders have, have uh, will really embrace that this year and uh, and I think it'll be great for the Silver star pass holders as well i know a lot of those folks come over here and ski at sun peaks anyway and uh now we'll just be seeing more of those and uh and just sharing some guests back and forth as the season goes on and uh it's all about how do you kind of drive that value and uh, make sure that people can get out in the mountains and have a good time right on aiden well that wraps up our time but thanks so much for coming on and previewing the season i think uh, people are getting excited i know i am as well so really appreciate you taking the time Awesome. See you on the mountain soon. I'll be there. That was uh, Sun Peaks Director of Marketing, Aiden Kelly. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to uh, pull out my snowboard and hit the slopes here. I'm sure uh, a lot of other people feel the same way. Uh, me coming here from Ontario recently, I will tell you, you guys are spoiled out west, and I'm excited to be one of those spoiled people here now as well when it comes to being able to ski. So definitely looking forward to a good ski season ahead. Coming up after the break, I'll be talking about some uh, possible changes in the way Merritt hands out tickets for bylaw infractions, so stay tuned for that. opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. 
Welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show, and happy Friday to all you beautiful people out there tuning in. When issuing a ticket for bylaw infractions, the city of Merrick currently has to deliver those tickets in person. It is looking to be able to now leave those tickets either on a dash of a vehicle or be able to send that ticket in the mail. I was surprised to learn that the city wasn't already able to do that, but it is now looking to make that change. And I am joined now by Merritt's Director of Corporate Services, Sean Smith. So, Sean, I guess let me know first and foremost, have I explained these proposed proposed changes correctly? Yeah, it, it, it's, that's close. Um, under the legislation that we have in place right now, uh, following the Community Charter and the Local Government Act, we have to serve tickets in person or at someone's last known address to, to someone who's over 16 years of age. Um, and so we don't have the c- capability to mail out tickets or put them on a dash. Um, so that's that's a fair comment. Um, and so the bylaw notice enforcement system would allow the city of Merritt to do that. But I'd say that that's only one uh, one facet of of the bylaw notice enforcement act that that is attractive to the city of Merritt. Um, Another is the fact that instead of going to court, because all tickets have to be adjudicated through the, or go through the court system, mm-hmm. uh, the Bylaw Notice Enforcement Act can be done through an adjudicator, so it's lower cost for, for all parties involved. Um, and it, these only are really applicable to smaller um, infractions, so kind of the most minor bylaw offenses would, would be dealt with through the bylaw notice enforcement system. Okay. And so what was the particular situation that kind of caused this to arise? Yeah, we had uh, a situation where a resident provided us with some uh, some information pictures uh, with license plate and showing somebody uh, dumping uh, some some junk and waste in uh, in the city of Merritt, and so uh, we looked that license plate up and started the, the process to uh, to enforce, but the person lived in the lower mainland, and so we uh, looked at at avenues for giving that person a ticket, because um, it's certainly not something we want to see in the city of Merritt, and um, the cost of hiring a process server to actually personally serve that ticket was greater than the amount of the fine itself, and so um, one issue is probably looking at the fines for that particular offense, but uh, the other side was just the the inflexibility of the system made it, made it difficult, and so we thought that it may make sense to do what 91 other local governments have done and, and consider opting into this bylaw notice enforcement system that uh, would allow for mail-out uh, tickets, uh, mail-out notices, or uh, to put them on on dashes of cars, so mm-hmm. removing that, uh, that personal service requirement. It, it almost seems weird to me that Merritt wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, I guess, why, why hasn't Merritt um, kind of adopted into that bylaw at this point in time? Do you have any idea sort of why, why it's taken this long for, for Merritt to consider this? Yeah, you know, I think it, it's probably a surprise. There's a whole lot of municipalities that haven't. Um, and when you look at the list that's uh, that's on the provincial website as to who can enforce under there, um, you know, I think it's just never really been a priority. Uh, and it, it could come from a position of, you know, we, we don't, give out a whole lot of, of parking tickets or look to enforce against people outside of the city of Merritt all that often. And so I just think it's it's a matter of the fact that it was never a, a huge priority. Right. 
frankly, I'm still not convinced it's a it's a huge priority now, uh, and it's just something that can and and should have been done probably some time ago, and uh, better to to start today than later, but. Um, it wouldn't be a world ender if it didn't go through. <laughs> um, so is this uh, something that's coming up in council here, I guess, before the end of the year? Is it in the next next little while? We already received uh, council direction at the last council meeting okay. to proceed with drafting a bylaw there. Um, the actual drafting of the bylaws themselves may take a little bit longer. Um, and the second component is, is in order to opt into the system, we do have to provide the uh, lieutenant governor with notice so that they can add the city of merit to the regulations as a community that can enforce in this way. Yeah, I would anticipate that it would be uh, up, up to a year before we would really see this in place. Okay. And uh, so this obviously uh, resulted from, from one particular situation and you you said you're not convinced that this is really a, a major issue or uh, you know something that you guys would necessarily be looking to, um, to enforce or, or hand out a ton of tickets as a result of this change. But uh, can you think of a lot of instances where this could have been helpful or is it really isolated to this one spot and it just sort of has raised some attention to the fact that you guys can't do it? No, there's there's definitely been other situations. I don't want to minimize it too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're talking about, you know, additional revenues or additional cost savings here, we would be um, talking about an amount in probably the, the low thousands. So I'm not saying that's insignificant, but in the scheme of municipal operations, it's um, not a huge initiative. Just one, one more question here for you. Do you know sort of what types of infractions this would totally cover? Is it just like kind of all um, bylaw infractions that people might uh, find themselves in? or So under the bylaw notice enforcement system, you can only do infractions that would have a, a fine of up to $500 attached to them. Um, so more significant things still wouldn't wouldn't or couldn't be dealt with through that system. Um, but anything with a with a fine amount of five hundred dollars okay. or less could be could be dealt with. So uh, it would ultimately be up to council to determine which offenses they wanted to um, and which bylaws they wanted to regulate through that system. But uh, I, I imagine for most of the things that we do, um, animal control, for example, dogs at large, a lot of those we would look to uh, include as part of the bylaw notice enforcement system should it be approved. All right. Uh, I do think it's it's interesting uh, that more so than anything that that you guys can't already uh, you know do some enforcement in this manner. I think that's the most surprising thing to me out of this. Not that uh, you're looking to make yeah. any changes, just that you couldn't already already do some of those things and, and send someone a ticket in the mail. It's it's kind of surprising. I think that uh, if a lot of municipalities were probably to give this a a good look at the legislation. Um, it, it may be true for a lot of places. <laughs> yeah. Right on, Sean. Well, thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate you taking the time. Anything else you want to add before I let you go here? Uh, that's all I've got for you today, Jeff. Right on. That was Merit's Director of Corporate Services, Sean Smith. I wonder how many times people have been able to get away with bylaw infractions in these communities where they can't mail out tickets. It just seems bizarre that you can get away with things like like dumping simply because it, it costs more for the city to actually serve you the ticket than it's actually worth to to get you to pay that fine. Um, but it looks like that won't be the case in Merit for much longer. Um, so one thing that uh, is coming up here this weekend, it's the 107th Grey Cup. And to get you all set for that, I'm going to be joined by Glenn Suter here in a little bit. But first, I thought I'd bring in our producer here, Kurt Appleby. Uh, Kurt, are you excited for uh, Sunday or what? I am, Jeff. Uh, it's, this Grey Cup is a national treasure um, and it deserves the attention 
attention that it gets uh, rightfully every year. Now, the reason I brought you in, because yeah. we wanted to play a little prop bets here. Yeah, sure. And uh, full disclosure, I haven't taken a look at them at all. You've had time to research, look into all of them individually. <laughs> so when you're bringing up your answers, you know what you're talking about, and I haven't seen anything. So. Yeah, I mean, there's some pretty crazy odds for some of these. Like, uh, we'll, we'll just go through them to start. I mean, this one, uh, I don't know. It's really hard to call. It's about 50-50. Who's going to win the coin toss? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go, well, you, you, uh, give you want me, me your, to pick first? Yeah, you give me your research answer and what well, it's been like the last 15 years. Studying all of this research, I, uh, <laughs> I've found out that I think Hamilton has the best odds to win the coin toss, so I'm going to take Hamilton. Okay, well, then win a peg for me. All right, you're taking the but peg. But you got to give me a heads or a tails here. Oh, that's coming. That's the next one. Don't worry. Uh, will it be heads or tails? Tails. Kurt's taking tails, so I'm going to take heads. I'm pretty sure heads actually has higher odds. Pretty sure... For it landing on a head, it's like 50.0025%. Well, you know, so, it's because the head weighs that much more on the coin, which trajects it down towards the ground. But I guess that's specific to a quarter, and they're probably not going to use a they're quarter. Gonna, so. They're going to have their own descriptive <laughs> coin, specific, uh, ta specifically tailored for the 107. This, this is always one of my favorite questions. How long do you think the anthem will be? So the over-under is set at 70.5 seconds. Over or under a minute and 10 seconds. Who's, go, who's singing the anthem? I honestly don't know. I okay. didn't look that up. I all probably right. should have. <laughs> you had all this time. Uh, I'll take the over. All right, Kurt's going over, so I'm going to go under. Uh, if this was the American anthem, it's definitely over. But 100%. for Canada, it's, it could be under, so I'm going under. Uh, who will score the first points? Hey, uh, I picked the last one, so it's, uh, it's your turn here. Okay. Uh, since I'm just going to stick with Hamilton. Hamilton's getting the first points. And who do you have for the coin toss again? I got Hamilton. Yeah, they're going to come in and they're going to score. So um, I'm going to seed this one here, which means I'm taking Winnipeg, but I believe it'll to be Hamilton. Well, you got Winnipeg winning the coin toss, so if they don't defer then there's a really good chance that they're going to get those first points. Yeah, this is um, making all fantastic sense when you round <laughs> <laughs> it up here. All right, first penalty. Okay, first penalty will go by way of Winnipeg. Okay, you're just taking Winnipeg across the board here, so I like it. I'll just keep <laughs> taking Hamilton. We're going to recap these results on Monday for you, I promise. Don't worry about it. So I don't know what the bet is if right can, now. but If we'll, I can even show my face here. Well, it's radio, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, <laughs> oh, here's a good one. How many songs will Keith Urban play at the halftime? The over-under here is set at five and a half. Oh, I would have gone three, so I'm going to take the under. You're on going under. All right, I'll go over. And this is this is probably Only, my favorite. Sorry. Only sorry because yeah, yeah, because Keith can rip it, rip it up on the guitar. So I'm thinking there's going to be some nice guitar riffs taken up, solos taking up most of that time, which is why I say three. All right. Well, I'm not uh, a Keith Urban fan by any means, so you would know the songs more than I would, I would think. But uh, oh, here's a good one though. This is probably my favorite prop bet that I've seen so far. Will Nicole Kidman be shown on camera? Yes or no? No. No? No. Oh, man, I'm going yes for sure, so I'm glad you took that one. All right, uh, two questions left. Uh, who will win the game? Uh, well, I said it earlier on uh, the end of NL Morning News here, so I'm going with Hamilton. And I took Winnipeg, so I can't change that answer because <laughs> it's on tape somewhere, and I'll get called out if I change my answer. And, I'll be the first one to do and that. And this one is not a yes or no. This one actually takes quite a bit of thinking. What color will the Gatorade shower be? Orange. Orange? Yeah, because Hamilton's going to win, and that's what they're going with. Well, I'm going to go blue because it's my favorite. Actually, no, uh, I'm going to change my answer to oh, yellow. You're going yellow? Yeah, okay. yellow, just because of Hamilton. Well, here, I actually pulled up the odds on this one. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. So uh, the uh, best odds is clear or just water. That's uh, number one. Yeah. Uh, green, lime, yellow is uh, second. Orange is third. Okay, well, I'm glad I changed it before yeah. I heard that. 
And blue is fourth, red fifth, and purple uh, plus 700 because no one drinks purple Gatorade. That's <laughs> no. just the way it goes. Uh, I, I don't mind that uh, G2 grape stuff, but it's not uh, bad. It's all right. It's not bad. All right, there you go. So, uh, We'll see who wins in these prop bets for the Grey Cup. If you want to participate, uh, you know, it's probably my favorite way to actually get going because you don't have to know anything about football to have fun and still enjoy watching the game. But if you want to get a little bit more in-depth on what's going to be happening on Sunday, well, I got Glenn Suter of TSN CFL Analyst coming up after the break. So stick around. You're listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. This Sunday is basically a holiday in our country. I mean, it's not officially, but it probably should day should be. Excuse me. Yes, it is the Grey Cup set for this Sunday in Calgary. It's Winnipeg taking on Hamilton for the 107th CFL Championship. To help tee up the game, I'm joined now by TSN CFL analyst Glenn Suter. Glenn, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah, I'm standing right in the corner of the end zone uh, watching the Hamilton Tiger Cats practice right now as we speak. The, are they looking like they're ready for Sunday right now? <laughs> they do. They look good. They're working on their uh, their green zone or red zone uh, work in inside the 20. And I've seen Brandon Banks catch. Now, they're playing against air, of course, but I've seen Brandon Bank catch three touchdowns. So if that's an indication, they look sharp. <laughs> I have heard it is easier to play against air. So that, that's how. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, they're just running through that. <laughs> now, before we get into the game itself, I just want to take a quick look back at kind of how we got here. Because when we spoke a couple of weeks ago, I said Calgary has to be the favorite out of the West just because, you know, they're the defending champs. They've been to five of the last seven great cups. But you said, well, we probably shouldn't look past the team that won the division and, and got the bye. In that being Saskatchewan, so they should probably be considered the favorite. And yet, here we are, two weeks later, and it's Winnipeg set to take on the the, the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I mean, how did how did that happen? How did how did Winnipeg pull it off? Well, you know, I think a couple of, a couple of ways. I think there's the Zach factor first of all. I mean, Zach Kalaros and what he brought to that team, his creativity uh, when plays break down, his ability to push the ball and and make those explosion plays, those those deep balls. I think. Darvin Adams has four in the last two playoff games of over 30 yards. You know, the the big key play in the Saskatchewan game was the 63-yarder to Darvin Adams when Kalaros was on his own five-yard line. It looked like the Riders were going to get some momentum there and maybe get the two and out and uh, get field position, score a touchdown, and go ahead there. Um, and he, he threw the 63-yarder, and that turned into a, a, a Winnipeg touchdown. So, you know, I think there's that. Uh, the, the ability to adjust on the fly for Winnipeg and bring in Strebler at certain times didn't work in the final against Saskatchewan, but did work in, in the Calgary game. So, you know, I, I think sort of the, the evolution of the offense from Paul Lapolice, Winnipeg, just sort of, coming together at the right time, and they've knocked off two of the toughest teams in the division and now play the best team in the league. But do they have an edge there, maybe? I mean, they feel like they've slayed a couple of dragons already, and now they got the best team in the league in Hamilton up, and they feel very confident they can upset them. Yeah, I would imagine Winnipeg will be flying high right now. Like I said, uh, defeating the uh, the uh, defending champs and then taking on uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the number one team, and beating them, and now taking on the number one team in the league in Hamilton. Uh, they got to feel like there's probably nothing that can really stop them. But I mean, Hamilton probably should be the favorite given the fact that they are, you know, the number one seed. So I guess who who are you liking right now? Is Hamilton the favorite in your mind, or is it sort of a coin toss for you? 
Yeah, well, I, you know, I think in the, it's like a game seven in hockey and, and, you know, football is one game for the championship and so many things can happen. I mean, it could be a bounce and a turnover that turns into points that completely changes the outcome. There's often unsung heroes in this game. But, yeah, to answer your question, the Ticats are favorite. They're the best team in the league because, and, I, and I've said that really since, since Labor Day, that, you know, you could talk about Saskatchewan's surge and winning the division and, and the Calgary, the defending champions. And they were so good here at McMahon Stadium, the Stamps. But all year long, since, since about Labor Day and Dane Evans settling in in that backup, from the backup role to the starter for Jeremiah Mazzoli, this Hamilton team's been the best team in the league. They won 15 games. They didn't lose at home all year, including their, their Eastern final. They, they were 10-0 and at home. So... You know, this team is favored. They should be. They're well-balanced. Dane Evans looks great at quarterback in his first year. Um, you know, yeah, they, they should be the favorites. Yeah, Dane Evans is a good story, too, because this guy was, uh, you know, set to retire from football, basically hang up his cleats prior to the season, and then decided, you know, I'll take one last chance here at the CFL, and, and look at him now. He's competing for a Grey Cup title. So that's obviously a great story. Who do you think has the edge here at quarterback? I would think the vet in Kolaros is probably, you know, just a guy you might have a little bit more confidence in at this point. But, I mean, you know, Evans is no slouch here. So I guess who, who do you think has the edge at that most critical position? Yeah, it's, it's a great question because I think when you look at it on paper going in, you give it to Zach Kolaros because he's been in the big game before. He knows the work week. He knows the distractions. He knows how to deal with them. They didn't win that game that he was starting for the Hamilton Tiger Cats uh, back a few years ago. You know, and the infamous penalty when Brandon Banks scored on the return touchdown in BC Place, but uh, and that didn't count, and Calgary won that championship. But he's gone through the process. So on paper, you say Zach as the edge but it only takes you know a couple of completions for dane evans to settle in and and be comfortable and he's been one of the best quarterbacks in the regular season so now the only question is can he handle the spotlight of the championship game and he's played in big bowl games down south so he's got a little experience there so i i think it's a pick up i think it's zach going in but after a series or two it's just which team makes the, the the big plays? I will say this in a bigger picture thought that having these young quarterbacks emerge and playing the way they did, Cody Fajardo, Vernon Adams, Dane Evans, to name a few, Nick Arbuckle in Calgary behind Bo, Levi Mitchell, it's good for the league. It's good for the game because next year all those starters will be healthy again and and now we have competition at the toughest position in sports to play and that's quarterback. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, an interesting matchup here. And uh, definitely, I mean, all, it's the big game. It's always fun to watch no matter who comes out on top and no matter, uh, you know, what the situation is. Just hopefully it's a close game and keeps us entertained through 60 full minutes. Um, I guess uh, I'll get you out of here on this, Suits. Is there one particular matchup that you're looking at that uh, you think could potentially decide the game? Outside of those quarterbacks, obviously, is there just a, another position battle you're looking forward to? Yeah, whoever's covering Brandon Banks. And, you know, Braylon Addison is the second receiver, the second top receiver for Hamilton, and and you can't look past him. So he certainly could be a guy that that could be the game MVP even. Um, But I I think the first, you know, order of business for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers defensively is stopping Brandon Banks. If he gets going with explosion plays, even some of those little hitch plays where he takes them 30, 40 yards because he's so quick, and so fast. They call him Speedy for a reason. So we're going to focus in on how they're playing him. Are they double teaming him? How they're going to cover and try and contain the big play, the explosion play from, from the MOP in the league. 
Right on, Suits. Well, thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate you taking the time. Anytime. All right, Jeff. Enjoy it. Who, who do you got? I got, I got, uh, who did I take? I think I took Hamilton. No, I took Winnipeg. Okay, Sorry, I took Hamilton. Winnipeg. I took Winnipeg. Oh, you got, you got the upset. Okay. Okay, yep. we'll see. We'll see what happens. You as well. Thanks so much for doing this. That was CFL TSN analyst Glenn Suter teeing up the big game. Yes, the 107th Grey Cup is all set for this Sunday. And, of course, you can catch that right here on radio. And, uh, well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests one more time for joining me. And, more importantly, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, if you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. Have yourselves a great weekend, and I'll be back here on Monday.